what is this thing we call binging? What is this thing we call anorexia? Like, what is this thing we call addiction even? It's all an attempt to find safety. These things are auto-regulatory habits, and they're ones that we pick up really, really young through development. Even if we think of nursing, it's like the first sensation we have outside of the womb of safety. Our, our actual survival is associated with the taste of something sweet and fat and rich. And then by the time we're teenagers, most of us have already discovered and implemented and practiced withholding food, binging food, some kind of drug, television. Hello and welcome to Your Great with your host, Unique Hammond. I created this space for those seeking inspiration and tools along their healing path. One of the things I learned on my own healing journey, well, let's be honest, I learned a lot. But one of them was that I needed to heal my relationship with my body, with my emotional body, and my spiritual body as well. That played a massive role in the entire healing journey for me. The experience that I had being sick informed the choices that I make today and why I take such good care of my body and why I don't take health for granted because I know firsthand how fragile and beautifully resilient the human body is. It is changing with every bite I take and every experience I have. And because I have that deep understanding, I also have that deep respect. I've had a lot of traumatic experience in my life, starting with running away from home at 14, and I never went home. Some of the experiences were stuck in my body and needed to be lovingly excavated while others got processed and passed through me along the way. Crohn's was a pretty intense experience, but instinctually I knew that it wasn't a place I wanted to stay. It was a place I was passing through, and I didn't identify with my diagnosis. Creating that distance allowed me to learn from my experience with some objectivity instead of just being in it. Not to say that there weren't times that I was just in it and felt hopeless and helpless and cried like a little baby on the floor. I did a lot of that, especially when my period would come and just brutalize me. It took me not identifying with my diagnosis and suffering. And that really set me free, to be honest. It set me free to try things, to look in places that hadn't been looked at before for an autoimmune disorder like mine and just an openness. But what was interesting is that it wasn't until I got my diagnosis that I felt empowered enough to heal it. Before, I felt like I was just scratching around in the dark, trying to figure out what was going on with me, what was wrong, why was I so broken? Something about knowing what I had allowed me to be free of it in a way. So I did a lot of somatic healing. I just didn't know that's what it was called. I called it healing my relationship with my emotional body because that's what it felt like. As things began to release, I would feel them and be present to them instead of numb out with food or try to walk away from them. I loved sitting with Luis in this episode and diving into the depths and the beauty of somatic experiencing. What a beautiful tool for healing, and Luis is a beautiful human. I hope you enjoy our conversation and take away some helpful insights for your own healing journey. Luis 
is a somatic therapist and nutritionist. He specializes in teaching people how to heal trauma through listening and relating to their bodies. Enjoy. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and telling your story. I'm here to learn about somatic experiencing with you because I understand how important it is to not just heal the body on a cellular level, but how important it is to heal the emotional body in that journey. Because in my own coaching, I see it all the time where the physical body can only heal so far until the emotional body almost blocks the healing. So I would love for you to share your story of how you came to work with somatic experiencing and just a little bit about yourself. I'm so happy to be here, first of all. I love your work. I love you as a person. You've been so lovely to collaborate with over, over the last year or so. And just love talking about somatic experiencing. So uh, I'm really <laughs> happy to be here and, and tell you all about it. It's so interesting. You know, I was thinking about my story before I came on here and how how miraculous it really was. Just, I'm sure, just like your own, right? When you think of Looking back, you notice how everything in place served for you to serve. It was very interesting. And so what's interesting for me is like I was, you know, my, my therapy is body-based, right? Like you said, somatic. So it's about understanding trauma as a biological experience, not as an event experience. And we can get into that more. But oh my goodness, my whole life was a, such an intense and, 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 and strange somatic experience. Mm. I was born with a hormonal condition that mm. caused me to make a ton of estrogen, like higher than the level of an average female even. Wow. And so for the first, I think 13 or 14 years of my life, I was just dumping estrogen into my system. Mm. My body just made so much of it. Mm. And part of how that manifested is I started growing breasts and I started growing hips. And mm. I actually kind of was going through a, a very small, like female puberty, if you will, mm. emotionally and like physically. And it, it was so strange. There were no terms like intersex. There were no terms of androgyny. There was no mm. fluidity. There was nothing when this was happening mm. in Southern Pennsylvania in the eighties and nineties wow. that would give any clarity to what was going on in my body. So the doctors were shocked. They had no idea what to call me. No one knew where to put me. Hmm. This idea was like it was fat and one day I was going to lose all this weight. Hmm. What was interesting is I wasn't overweight at all. I was just in specific areas of my body where estrogen builds, you know, tissue. Right. So fast forward between fifth and sixth grade, that's when a lot of my peers started going through puberty. And there's obvious changes. Like the boys become more muscular, the women become more curvy. There's just like these obvious physiological changes. And I was always in the middle. Like my body wasn't doing what everyone else was doing. So I immediately started experiencing like vitriol and harassment and bullying and sexual assault. And I mean, like you name it. So hated for mm. being unusual mm. and for having female characteristics. Wow. So. I always say I had this interesting experience of misogyny to a point, you know, in middle school and, and late, late grade school. Mm -hmm. And that turned into just years of developmental trauma, hating my body, not mm -hmm. feeling safe in the world, not feeling safe in relationships, not trusting people, feeling really scared of men, mm -hmm. just 
years and years and years of pain. And I soothed that pain through binge eating. And I would eat so much food. I understand now why. Mm. At the time, it was just a habit to quell and quiet and numb all the adrenaline and activation from PTSD from these experiences I was mm -hmm. having. And because my body was the source of the threat, it wasn't like going to school alone, actually carrying around these breasts and this body was a, an endless 24 seven threat that I was trying to dissociate and numb from. So just feeling my body would throw me into an anxiety attack and I'd have to eat. So it was endless agony and pain and I developed cystic acne. Mm -hmm. I developed chronic um, asthma. I had to be on a nebulizer machine three, twice a day so I could breathe and inhalers mm -hmm. throughout the day. And I was pre-diabetic and I had extremely high cholesterol. They wanted to put me on Lipitor. I had uh, nervous tics, ADHD, Tourette syndrome. I had so many diagnoses, all of which were from unconscious, unprocessed trauma, really. And my biology with hormones just made my medical conditions even worse, right? As you know very well. Yeah. So one day I'm sitting, I'm 15 years old. I'm sitting down, I'm playing a guitar. I don't know how to play guitar. I just bought one because I like the way they looked. <laughs> and as I'm feeling the vibration, something in me starts settling for the first time that I can ever remember. Mm. And I start feeling this sense of, oh, it's safe to be in a body. Or, oh, this isn't going to hurt me, this mm. being the vibration and connecting to myself. Mm -hmm. And that started the change of my life, which it would take me almost 15 years to even have words for, which was essentially regulation. I was somatically experiencing a place in my body that was able to breathe mm -hmm. and expand and stop dumping adrenaline into my system. And so that led to nutrition. And mm -hmm. this is just like you were saying in the opening, my body healed everything. I ended up getting top surgery. I, I got into this place of looking like a totally quote normal man mm -hmm. and also having no medical illnesses. All my chronic, chronic asthma went away. The cystic acne went away. The cholesterol, everything just vanished. And you did I, that all with diet? All with diet. Beautiful. And so no medications. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, like you were saying about a decade after that, I was like in great health. Everything was great. I had a tooth infection. And the feeling in my body from the tooth infection, the pain I was feeling, brought back memories I had repressed mm. of a certain traumas when I was younger. And that's what propelled me into somatic experiencing because mm. I learned what all the traumas were. I, let's say, uncovered what was repressed. Mm. I was in a great state of physical health, yet the more I uncovered what was repressed, the more I understood the trauma on a, you know, uh, let's say, an intellectual sense. Mm. the worse my PTSD got mm. and all my anxiety symptoms that I hadn't had for probably a decade at this point just came rushing back. Mm. And then, so I went to a somatic therapist and I instantly started learning through her, oh, the nervous system holds the memory of experiences long after they're gone. Mm -hmm. It's biological. Mm -hmm. And as we learn to feel it and sense into it, we start to relate to it and transform it. And that's what developed me into practicing and now teaching. If one goes through a trauma, my understanding is that there's a shiver that happens. You can uncontrollably shiver or tremble. And if one does that or, and doesn't fight it, how much can you actually release through that process? That's such a great question. So there's two parts to that. Okay. The first part and that tremble, I always called trauma like the reverberation. Mm -hmm. So just to make it clear for people listening, 
yes, an event can be unjust. It can be abusive. It can be overwhelming, threatening. All those things are true. So we're not saying the events are good or bad, but they're true. <laughs> and then the body has a response to the event. <laughs> that response is the trauma response. <laughs> and that's the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Now, what you're referring to is when we start coming out of that, when the body realizes I survived, mm -hmm. like I don't have to run anymore. I don't have to fight, I don't have to freeze, I don't have to fall and like the threat is gone. Mm -hmm. Then all that charge, literal electricity gets discharged through involuntary spasms, shaking, dancing, laughing, crying. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways it comes out. Main reason we have unprocessed trauma in our culture, especially like post-colonial cultures is our bodies were trained for hundreds of years mm. out of our indigenous ways to not move, to mm. not express, to not shake. It was thought mm. to be like wild and uncivilized. Mm. So we've learned to be really still. So even when traumatic events occur and then they're gone, we never process them physically through any kind of movement. So mm. they literally stay stored somewhere. Mm. So our ability to move from them is huge. And then the second part is connect relating to ourselves, relating to somebody in the room, relating to the space around us, mm -hmm. that starts saying, oh, it's safe to connect, which means I survived. Mm. So those two things, movement and relationship, that's all it comes down to, you know, to start really releasing and healing. When you were going through the trauma in childhood of, of, of being different and people, because of your difference, not understanding and treating you like a threat is what it sounds like. Did you ever notice that tremble ever happening? in the process of going through it or afterward? Yes, yes. I just thought of this the other day. I love that you're asking because I've been writing about these things. Mm -hmm. And so it was coming out through the writing. And the way the tremble came through me was the shaking of my leg. So like, uh, I think it's actually called like sewing leg or sewing mm -hmm. foot, like, you know, the, the pedal. Mm -hmm. And so people who sit down, those of you listening might be doing it right now, where the leg is just going up and down, up and down. Yeah, that would happen in class because I would escape the threat. I'd be out of the hallway where the boys were all waiting for me. I'd be mm -hmm. in the classroom, the door would be closed. I was safe. And my body, my leg was just doing this the whole time, mm -hmm. trembling. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't aware of it. And I was trying to like push it in instead of letting it get bigger and move out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in that pushing in, I stayed in a repressed flight response and never fully moved, just stayed. And that's what was also, that's where I was diagnosed as having Tourette's syndrome and nervous tics. Wow. Wow. So you said, was it dental? Was it the mm -hmm. dental that, that brought you back to some of the tra unprocessed trauma? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what was so powerful was I, I, you know, I knew I had been through some stuff, but I was, I was 25. I knew I had been through some stuff and I remember just not really thinking much of it. And then the dental work happened and the, the physical sensations of the mm -hmm. dental work awakened the memories. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped me experientially understand trauma biologically is mm -hmm. like these physical sensations mm -hmm. remind us of past physical sensations tied to threat. And so this is how easy it is to go into a flashback or what we call getting triggered or we say like overreacting, which actually is overcoupled because mm -hmm. sensation of fear, let's say because you're excited to perform at mm -hmm. an event. Mm -hmm. That sensation feels like a sensation of threat when someone was after you. So in that one moment, the two get overcoupled and the body thinks going on stage is going to kill you. And that's how confused the nervous system gets with trauma. And it is an interesting thing, experiencing excitement and fear. I have many times in my life not wanted to do something because I just misin I was misinterpreting excitement for fear because of historical trauma. 
Mm-hmm. So it was like, wait, am I excited or am I really, really scared? You know, and it yeah. was, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. That's, it's such an important thing to bring up because a lot of people think when they're traumatized or when they're stressed, they have anxiety, that if something good happens, if that would be good for them. Mm-hmm. And then something good happens, which brings the charge of, let's say, like you're saying, excitement or even like the physiology of expansion. But because the body has associated all charge with something negative, which charge also is adrenaline at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It just turns on our fight or flight responses like immediately when we have PTSD. So then we feel all this shame, like what's wrong with me? I'm never happy, nothing works. It's like, it's not your fault. Your nervous system is, is not processing it correctly. Yeah, it's dysregulated. That's all, yeah. So you got into somatic work. And how did you know that that was the therapy for your next step in your healing process instead of talk therapy or something else? Well, it's funny. So I spent a year and a half in talk therapy weekly Mm -hmm. and I kept going through different therapists. I would work with one who would awaken more memories, give me identities, like all these well-intentioned pieces of of trying to heal and try to make sense of things. And the more identity I was given, like survivor of childhood sexual assault, Mm. it just, I was like, but I'm not that right now. Like that's Mm -hmm. not who I am. That's something that was done to me. I don't have to be who I am. Mm -hmm. So the more identity I was given, the more pain my physical body was in because it was just kind of like reverberating with the identity. Mm. So I remember someone saying to me, it's, it's like one of those moments, like when you got Karen's book, it's one of those moments of, I don't even remember how it was said, but someone said something like, oh, this woman's a somatic therapist. Mm. I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I felt like, ooh, that sounds new. That sounds like <laughs> something I haven't experienced. Let me try something new since all of this isn't working. And that, that little moment is what did it. I, I love listening to those moments of this is the direction and just trusting it and being like, yes, away we go. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Did you intuitively know that you needed to change your diet as part of your healing? And then you went on to become a nutritionist. And then what called you to use somatic healing in your practice? Like what was that transition for yourself? You know, they're, they're all so interconnected, aren't they? So it was interesting because when I had that moment with, moment with a guitar and I suddenly felt like really alive in myself and safe, I didn't have like a conscious idea of like, better stop eating poorly. Mm-hmm. It was just like a feeling of, oh, the safety is there. That feels good. Now from that feeling I could feel with certain foods, like which mm-hmm. ones kind of nurtured that safety mm-hmm. and which ones activated or depressed that safety. So it kind of began this little experiment with my own body to see there's kind of three, I call them three classifications with foods when it comes to the nervous system, the depressants, the stimulants, and then the balancers, the nourishers. And I just started finding myself really moving toward balancing foods more because it felt good to be balanced from the mm-hmm. music. So. As I was moving toward the balancing foods and reading a ton of books and juicing and just trying different diet philosophies, I was noticing, wait a minute, I haven't had like an acne pimple in Mm -hmm. two months. It's never happened in my life. I was on Accutane two rounds of it. It almost destroyed my liver. Wow. And so it was pretty like systemic over my whole body. I'm like, my acne is gone. That's weird. Oh, I I can breathe. I haven't wheezed at all today. I I don't need my medication. It's just like all these things started happening. And that was like the validation, like, oh, this is actually changing. My body is transforming 
as I eat different foods. Like this is so far out. It was it was like psychedelic <laughs> for me. And so so and I immediately and so powerful because <laughs> no one could help me. And I was I had done several brain scans and MRIs and GI tract readings. I was I had so such poor health. I was passing out all the time. I was being mm. hospitalized, and they just couldn't find anything because it was trauma. It was invisible. So they'd find the disease, but they couldn't figure out the cause. And they didn't ask me about how I ate. So, you know, it was like a mystery. It was like, mm -hmm. this just kind of happens sometimes. So to start noticing, oh, this food does this, this food does this, it was not a mystery anymore. And it mm -hmm. felt very fast forward. I spent a couple of years in health food stores and wellness centers all over New York City and in parts of Pennsylvania when I lived there. And it was the best apprenticeship I ever experienced mm. before I actually studied nutrition mm. because people would come in. I mean, sometimes 500 people a day in Brooklyn Heights. And you'd be working with so many bodies with mm. supplements, nutrition, you would see them come the next week and, oh, my rash is gone or I'm sleeping better or my indigestion's gone or the doctor said my cancer is getting better. Like these incredible life-changing things from a clerk at a desk. Mm. And so I had so much wisdom from those bodies that when I went into nutrition at that point, it was just for the actual like certificate, <laughs> you know, I had already been practicing really. And then for years I was a, had private practice in nutrition. And then I started noticing, oh, people are like eating really well. They're having these beautiful transformations. Yet when something emotional happens, they stop the eating and something physically comes back. There's some tie here, like you said, where the emotions are a really big piece. Mm -hmm. And that's what led me into the trauma work to say, how does trauma actually relate to food? Mm -hmm. And that was the, the next piece I was getting into. I wanted to go back to the guitar playing and ask, did you feel like playing the guitar was co-regulating you in some way, like your nervous system allowing you to get into parasympathetic? Whereas when we experience trauma, and I know this for myself, that I didn't have anything that co-regulated me. So I was just living in fight or flight for a solid 20 something years from childhood. And then when I entered therapy, I began to notice the triggers for going into fight or flight. It sounds to me that guitar playing was some sort of co-regulation for you or how did, how would you describe that relationship? I would say a hundred percent. And I'm so glad you say that because I'm an animist. So to me, everything's alive. <laughs> and for a lot of people who talk about co-regulation, they'll only refer to it as living beings mm -hmm. or like human or pets. Mm -hmm. They'll go there. Mm -hmm. But co-regulation happens with plants. It happens with wind. It happens mm -hmm. with water. And it happens with vibration. Mm -hmm. And so vibration is a being, you know, it's like a moving energy that moves through us. Mm -hmm. So for me, absolutely, the guitar, you know, I had a, I have a wonderful mother and I hid all of my assault and abuse from her because mm. of the shame that was coupled with it. Mm. So no one in my life even knew. So no one could help me regulate. So right. right, the guitar was the only place where I could make songs about these things and take those feelings there mm. because it wasn't a person. Mm. And it was co-regulating. My nervous system said, oh, there's something safe in this vibration mm. and this other being. And then it started healing a lot just through that practice. That's I was really picking up when you talk because I've heard you talk about music was kind of your way forward in life in a lot of ways into the healing process. And whenever I hear you talk about it, I think it sounds like there's a co-regulation happening with the vibrations of, of the music, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's really powerful. 
It is. And, you know, we talk about in somatic experiencing, one of the terms is auto-regulation, which is a way that you find safety in your nervous system isolated and alone. It tends to be, quote, like negative things like TV watching or scrolling or something that you're doing alone. And it can also be positive. It it can be Mm. yoga. It Mm. can be chanting. It can be hugging a tree. Mm. It can be music. So that was my auto-regulator for a long time. And the real courage after that was like, now can I do this with people? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that I'm still in that process, but that was, <laughs> that was like the big you know, shift between alone with the guitar and with human beings. So then to fast forward, you decided where you notice what I'm noticing, which is you can heal the physical body and you can, you know, get to a really wonderful place, but it's almost like things are stalled because as soon as there's a dysregulation of the nervous system, it's back to old patterns to regulate, to try to regulate, right? The binge eating. Right. I see this a lot. So how, how, well, first of all, how has that impacted you, like in your practice and in your life, being a somatic therapist? Oh my goodness. I think it is the biggest discovery I've ever made in my personal journey and experience and, and with others. No one really talks about the connection to f- with food and trauma. I, mm. I, I don't really hear it anywhere. Mm. For years, I was trying to like research it and Mm. find some information. And I could find all this like kind of like spotty evidence when I put it together, like, oh, caffeine does this to the adrenals and oh, the adrenals do this to fight or flight. And veterans went through this with caffeine. So you could find these certain studies, but no one was practicing it like that. And so when I went into my body and I was kind of noticing what, what, what is this thing we call binging? What is this thing we call anorexia? Like, what is this thing we call addiction even? It's all an attempt to find safety. And when you were saying about, you know, the way, the way you just put it with binge eating to regulate, mm-hmm. these things are auto-regulatory habits and they're ones that we pick up really, really young through development. Even if we think of nursing, it's like the first sensation we have outside of the womb of safety. Our, our actual survival is associated with the taste of something sweet and fat and rich. So it starts from day one, from the first breath. And then by the time we're teenagers, most of us have already discovered and implemented and practiced withholding food, binging food, some kind of drug, television. We practice something to regulate. Yeah, because I'm actually thinking I have two grown daughters and 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 what you were saying just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I'm just going to say it out loud and see how it, if, if, how it lands. But I can remember my daughters falling down or hurting themselves and seeking comfort and nursing. And I wonder if that seems at the time like such a natural way to help them co-regulate, but is it actually already at such a young age, not allowing them to just work through the hurt of falling down, allowing them to nurse for comfort? Is that already making food a comfort? Well, so yes and yes and yes. (laughs) Yes and yes, yes and no. um, No one's ever asked this question. I'm so glad you are because this is exactly how it happens. And when I say it, I mean the necessity of co-regulation, first of all. Mm-hmm. So we can't regulate our nervous systems until really we're in our 20s. Like mm-hmm. it takes, and even then, how good are we doing it? So it takes a long time. So when you're still at a nursing age, you know, depending on who listens, it can be like one to three, some people up till five, like it can depend. You can regulate your nervous system. So when you fall and hurt yourself, and someone picks you up and holds you or you nurse, 
that that is like a very ancient biological technique to show the other body you're safe here. So there's nothing negative with it. Mm-hmm. What it is, it's like one of the tools. However, because our culture isn't trauma-informed and we're not body-based, we're much more mental, mm-hmm. as we're developing, as we're developing our nervous systems and we develop off the breast, then we start going to really like simple rich sugary foods Mm. which acts as a constant kind of like state not even stabilizer but something that shifts our chemistry throughout the day based on where we are in our emotional selves so we're developing from that point without the shaking and talking and crying and self-relating that's more of the issue than the overcoupling with breastfeeding when you get hurt and the numbing out with food is is a way to avoid the feeling the discomfort it literally transforms it. So yeah. if we think of like, I always think of this all comes down to adrenaline. That's why our work is so simpatico. Because when you are having trauma or you're sad or you're depressed, or you're anxious, there is some biological hormonal experience happening in your chemistry and your makeup that changes by the minute sometimes based on what you're going through. Food is one of those things, just like any medicine that changes that chemistry like within minutes. Mm-hmm. And so if we're having like a hard candy or a soda pop or like spicy Cheetos, which everyone talks about, I've never had one, but uh, so many people have told me about these, the sensation overload from these things is either activating our system out of a state of depression, which means mm-hmm. we, we aren't making adrenaline, we're so fatigued, so we're depressed, mm-hmm. or it's depressing our body, it's turning off the adrenaline because it's exhausting the system. So in that place of trying to either stimulate out or depress down, Mm -hmm. we're changing our chemistry in minutes and we're Mm -hmm. doing it unconsciously and intuitively. Mm -hmm. So these habits are really like sophisticated practices to shift our chemistry so we can function and have clarity. But it's temporary because once the food metabolizes, you're right back to where you were physically. And Mm -hmm. that's the connection that, that you were bringing up when you notice that the resting state is dysregulated. Mm Any food, whether it's a beautiful, healthy diet, or let's say a diet that's very um, stimulating or depressing, mm. either one, once they metabolize, you're taken back to that state of dysregulation. Mm. So it, that's when we're actually working with the dysregulation itself, we're working with the core expression of all of these other behaviors mm. and patterns. So when somebody is reaching for food as a way to regulate, and it's interesting because I've had clients say, oh, I'm no longer reaching for the cookies and the cake and the this, but now I'm overeating beans as a way to try to regulate. Some of the trauma isn't present or it's not even part of the conscious mind yet. It's, it can be really buried. How does one use, can one use somatic experiencing as a way to get in touch with what is propelling that? dysregulation that comes out of no- what feels comes out of nowhere i know mm-hmm. in in some of the work that i do in life coaching you can walk back the cat and literally go back through your day and and pinpoint the moment that you dysregulated mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. see how then that event caused the later alone time to binge right for that emotional safety yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts about how one can use somatic experiencing to uncover those unconscious traumas and how did you use it in your own life i asked a lot here so just pick whatever you I want. love it I, i'm like i want all of it <laughs> the first thing i thought was so profound was when you're talking about walking back the cat that's what we get to do sensationally so when we think about it with coaching or we think about it with journaling we're doing it intellectually 
you know, we're, we're looking and we're seeing and we're, oh, I was doing that, or I was thinking this, or I was feeling that. And it's from an intellectual place. When we're doing somatic experiencing, just like the, the title suggests, we're experiencing our soma through sensations, soma mm-hmm. being the body. So we're learning to say, oh, I never even knew my stomach was clenched because it's always been clenched, mm-hmm. maybe since birth. So I didn't know this stomach could feel differently. So when you're somatically experiencing joy, let's say, or expansion, and whenever I do an exercise with people who are new at this, we start with safety, which literally means like putting a pillow against your stomach and taking a breath or looking at something really pleasant or hugging someone or thinking of someone you love or your favorite food even. And that sensation of ease in the body Mm. shows you a part of your body that starts feeling safe and starts opening. And safety here doesn't mean safety in the world. It means my body is feeling the reality that right now I'm not being threatened. That's mm-hmm. all it comes down to. Mm. Once we can feel that, then we have an actual pinpoint of, oh, anything opposite of that is stress, which mm. again has been our resting state. So we didn't even know we were stressed. We just think that's how we are. Mm-hmm. And that's why we say things like, I binged out of nowhere, or mm-hmm. I freaked out out of nowhere, or I had general anxiety. It's like, No, you're always at a level five Mm. and it happened to go to a seven and then you noticed it. Mm. So somatic experience helps that experiencing actually helps us notice like the little decibels between each level of sensation. So we can start to be in relationship with it. Mm. And that's the part that's so far out and very animistic is we start to notice, oh, the binge eating isn't me. Mm. It's not something I'm doing. The binge eating is an expression coming from somewhere in me. And that little disidentification with the actual expression mm. and the, the pivot into identifying where the expression comes from, we get like really practical information. So I'll give you my own, my own personal case study on myself. My practical information was because I had breasts, I was constantly walking around with my shoulders forward mm. and my, my back hunched. Mm. I wore layers upon layers of clothing and binders and everything I could do to hide mm. them so I wouldn't be seen. Mm. And so from that physical constriction of this part of my body all the time, I was always getting migraine headaches. Mm. And I would have so much tension in my chest and stomach from not breathing. Probably why I had asthma as well. Mm. And there was so, so much inflammation in my core that when I was binging, it was to slow down the the information of all mm-hmm. that energy of the activation of being tense all day and hiding. Mm-hmm. So when I stopped seeing my binging as like something I was doing wrong usually, and noticing is no, it's something my body's needing, like what part of my body needs it, I noticed, oh, my stomach is always tense. There's like a little fist in it. And when I noticed that my stomach looked toward this, let's say peanut butter, that was my food, looked toward a jar of peanut butter as a way to not feel that clench, mm. then I was able to relate to the fist inside my stomach instead of identify and think it was me. Mm. And through that relating, that's what makes somatic experiencing so unique, is we actually learn how to connect to the activation. We're not just trying to soothe and get better, we're actually trying to create a relationship mm. and build capacity to feel the unwanted feelings. And then when we're able to do that, the behaviors disappear because we don't need them anymore. It's not because we have willpower, it's mm. we simply don't need them anymore. Well, I love what you, how you just described it as build capacity to feel the feeling because it's not about mind over matter. It's not about, you know, talking yourself out of it. It's feeling your way through it, which is mm-hmm. really beautiful. 
really glad you said mind over matter because that's something we um, practice a lot in spiritual communities and non-spiritual communities. It's it's very widely thought like you can control this body. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like a post-colonial inheritance of body mm -hmm. domination mm -hmm. and land domination, essentially. It's just like an inner reflection of something out in the world that we've all grown from. Mm -hmm. And so I find that very important that, yes, we're not trying to dominate our bodies. That's what binging is. Mm. What we're trying to do is get in touch with our bodies and connect so we have capacity to feel the pain. Mm. And then when you have capacity to feel pain, it's like, I don't need any of these habits or people or things that have distracted me from the pain because now I'm okay with the pain. It's there mm -hmm. and it moves through. Well, the pain's no longer scary because it's no longer locked away in this don't touch box. Because you've built, as you said, capacity, which is, like I said, a beautiful way to put it, that you can open, the, when the box is opened and you feel, you can just allow it to be what it is without attaching identity to it or something else to it, which is growth, right? That's that, mm -hmm. that beautiful growing and healing, actually healing. It's healing versus I'm controlling, I'm holding this thing. But as soon as this thing touches me, everything explodes, right? It's it's That's a fragile exactly way right. to live in the world because everything everything it's like having a it's like having a body covered in wounds and you never know when somebody's gonna accidentally touch the wound. I just have to reflect two things you said that were important. Like the when you said about it, it's it's difficult to live in the world that way. Like traumatic events are inherent to living mm -hmm. on the planet. Mm -hmm. Whether it's abuse or it's someone dying or it's your body changing or the aging process or getting sick, like trauma is natural. It really is. I'm not saying assault and abuse should be tolerated. Yeah. And there's this just experience as humans, all in different levels, depending on our situations where we're going to experience trauma ongoing. Traumatized is different from experiencing trauma. Trauma mm -hmm. is a natural response to overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Traumatized is when that response gets stuck in us. Mm -hmm. So when you said that piece there, it's so important because when there's all that pain and we're afraid of the pain, mm -hmm. we can't handle anything to come, which is inevitably going to come. So we have to walk around really stiff, really dissociated, numb, and with all mm. these habits that help us not feel. Mm. So it's really about tolerance for pain and what you said as well, I'll use my words, uncoupling fear from pain. Mm -hmm. And what's so beautiful about this practice that I see with so many people and myself when the fear is no longer attached to the pain, mm -hmm. there's also a physiology of constriction that's no longer in response to pain. Mm -hmm. So you feel pain and you actually open, similar to watching someone give birth. You do the opposite of what your body thinks it should do, which is mm -hmm. constrict. You breathe and open and then the pain moves. It doesn't just mm -hmm. stay there. Mm -hmm. So tolerance for pain doesn't mean inviting pain. It means letting it move. And even the birth, actually, what you just said about birth is so profound because I can remember the contractions being so painful. The holding on is painful. And then the releasing is the moment between the wave of pain, right? That's, that's so right. To, it's like, it, it's pretty incredible to me how life really kind of in its natural world gives us everything we need to move through our own suffering, right? The holding on, the letting go, the holding on, the letting go. because. The trauma of my life informed who I am today because mm -hmm. of being able to learn from it and move through it and feel it and 
experience it. And sometimes that meant laying on the floor and wailing through it, you know, just to release it, the, the tremble, which I thought was such a beautiful way to express that sense of just agony, to release trauma, to be unafraid. So many people say, Unique, you're so good. You're always on protocol. How do you do that? And I'm like, effortlessly, because I'm not using my mind to control mm-hmm. this because it is, it is me. It is, <laughs> you know, who I am. It's not this thing I'm trying to do anymore because I released my addiction to food. It doesn't mean that there's still moments that don't, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, where I have a lot of clients who think, oh, I thought I healed that. And it's, why is it back? And I feel like healing is waves, these waves. And so you can work through something and, and uncouple with the fear so you can feel the pain, right? But it doesn't mean that the mind doesn't send a memory of the thing and you don't feel the old feeling, but then you have tools to actually release and go, ah, yeah, that's, that's here. That's okay. That's all right. We can just let it move through and not hold on to it and not keep it in the body. What is your experience of that? I mean, absolutely. I love what you were saying about how life and nature gives us the tools. It's all there. In our conditioning, we've we've repressed it, but we're actually, this work is really about unlearning because the body does already know the mind over matter is the problem, actually, mm-hmm. not the body. So when you talk about contractions and we think about the heartbeat and we think about breath and we think about the tides of the waves, there is a constant in and out, close and open that actually is what creates life and allows life to thrive. Mm-hmm. It's if we stay closed or we stay too open that's when we experience like psychosis and pain and bad boundaries or death or, you know, all these pieces. So when I think about the idea of, like you said, I thought I healed that. I love the, the, the vision of the spiral because like you essentially pass the same wound, the same memory, the same behavior, mm-hmm. but you pass like slightly next to it each time next mm-hmm. to it, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than like a circle. Mm-hmm. And in nature, everything's a spiral, you know, like it looks like circles, but it's really spiraling. Mm. So there is a nature to like, we repeat ourselves mm. all through our lives and we just repeat it each one with a little more clarity. Mm. So the idea of like, I healed that very, again, innocent, but very dominating, mm-hmm. you know, like I put my flag there, I'm done. It's like, nope, <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to happen. It's like, we are going to continue to have these things come up and we're going to connect to them quicker. And in different ways because we've done it already. So we have more information, right? And there's almost incredible wisdom just from you saying that. I can hear the incredible wisdom of of not, again, being afraid of the thing coming back. But mm. actually, if it comes back, being able to feel it from a different angle and connect with it in a different way. And and it it's this fluid thing versus this, wait, why are you back, you know? What's what's wrong? Almost making something kind of like wrong with something coming back because I think the mind is such an incredible thing that a moment in life can bring us back to childhood. A smell, you know, I was talking about smells today, like the smell of nasturtium flowers brings me right back to childhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then from there you can experience different things from childhood and to allow them to to wash through instead of capturing them and holding on to them and and almost making an identity out of suffering. I'm curious, I've seen this a lot where people's identity gets wrapped up in their suffering. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. 
for yourself too. Like, how did you move out of the suffering and not identify with it? I heard you say that when they were giving you all of these diagnoses that you were like, mm, that's not me. How did you know that? You know, I th what was so beautiful for me with it was, uh, again, noticing my body. So I, I didn't have a somatic practice besides just noticing my body. Mm -hmm. But I just noticed when I would get the diagnosis and I would be given the title, mm. it was this interesting double feeling of like a dopamine hit of validation, which mm -hmm. felt really good. Like, mm -hmm. oh, everything makes sense now. I have a reason for being an asshole. <laughs> I had like all these things made sense, like relationally, like all like lined up. Mm. And then there was this other part that was like, but that's not me. Like, mm. and I, I would keep coming back to the sneeze and I still come back to it today. Like we don't identify with sneezing mm. ever. We don't sneeze and say, I'm a sneeze. <laughs> I'm a sneezer. <laughs> I'm a sneezer. Like we just don't do that. Like maybe in really rare situations, but we, we just don't. And I see it all the same way because mm. this body isn't, isn't me. It's something mm. that I inhabit. So what was done to it, you know, what it does, how mm. it expresses a rash, whatever it is, mm. it's not a reflection of me. It's something mm. that I'm able to connect to. Mm. But the moment I identify with it, I'm literally stuck in it. Mm. If my rash is an example that I haven't healed my emotional trauma mm. or that I went off protocol and I'm bad, mm. the shame spiral and the physiology of that somatically Mm. is so it, it's a dead end i can't go anywhere mm. i'm collapsing in on myself from mm. shame and self-abuse mm. mm -hmm. right but when i am not identifying with victimization with disease with any of the things i've pain anything i've experienced mm. but i'm just seeing it as something my body went through mm. i literally become the friend of my body mm -hmm. so i'm able to say oh my gosh so you know patting my arm oh sweetheart they did that to you that wasn't nice mm. and that part of my body starts relaxing mm. instead of they did that to me i went through this i went it's like i is right now mm -hmm. so i'm literally calling it back and there's a sensation mm. of calling it back mm. just like the nasturtiums <laughs> the mind when it identifies with an event 20 40 50 years ago somatically we feel that event rather if i'm witnessing it there's a little space and mm -hmm. it's much it's like time travel in an interesting way I'm really happy you said witness because when someone says, oh, unique, I fell off protocol, I binged, uh, stress, whatever. And they say, I just feel so shameful. And, you know, it's almost like a confession. And I say to them, I'm like, mm, just witness, just mm. witness yourself, just witness with kindness and, and curiosity. Because I think those are Shame is the way I feel about shame in my own experience was that it, it was a spiral going nowhere. Mm -hmm. and curiosity and kindness be you become the observer and the observer can be so kind right to our suffering because mm -hmm. what happens when we are mistreating ourselves which is you know this reaction to this emotional trauma then we're filling but in the act of filling we're also numbing and in the act of numbing we're no longer even conscious to our physical experience right it's just but to notice and to observe and to witness, there's so much love and kindness and learning, right? We can learn from just that little bit of distance. We're no longer inside of the spiral, just spiraling with it, right? No, that's absolutely true. I, I think the important piece there is, you know, like when I'm in it, 
if I, if I can't witness it because I'm in it, how can I transform it? How can I respond to it? How can mm. I learn from it? Mm. You literally can't learn from it when you are it because <laughs> you think you're it. <laughs> and there isn't a consciousness there. There's a dissociation because mm. we aren't those things. You know, mm-hmm. I, if I have a scrape on my pinky, I'm not my pinky. Mm-hmm. So why would I be my acne or why would I be my cancer? Mm. Or why would I be my trauma? It's like, mm. I'm not those things. They're, they're mm. bodily. Mm-hmm. So I think the more there's this interesting, healthy separation or like mm-hmm. disidentifying with body mm-hmm. and it's the connecting to body as something sovereign with its own memories, its own needs, its own like wisdom of giving me acne to release my liver, you know, medication, mm-hmm. like all these things that make so much sense. It, it, it becomes this really beautiful friendship with your body. Mm-hmm. And then when you binge that your, your word that I love is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. When we're curious. Mm. Every single experience becomes like a masterclass, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm like curious and watching myself binge, I'm learning so much about my body and my emotions mm-hmm. that I wouldn't learn if I was in it or judging it. Yeah. And the judge is the other interesting part of the nature, right? Because I, I don't know where it comes from or why we're all judgy, but I will notice if I am harshly judging myself, then that begins to happen out in the world where I'm judging others, right? Mm, The mm -hmm. less I judge myself, the less I judge others, which is such an interesting freedom to look at the world where we're all of these humans navigating our own traumas, basically. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah, there becomes no judgment. But it is interesting, the judge, the, the judge inside tends to become the one that shames too, like, oh, you're bad. You know, the language that we use, oh, I was bad. Mm-hmm. Were you? Mm-hmm. Maybe just not curious, maybe not bad, maybe just not being curious about, you know, why you're responding this way, because why you're responding this way is actually a clue to something greater. Mm. It's so important somatically to touch on what you said, because there is this interesting overcoupling that I've learned over the years physically mm-hmm. with judgment and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is literally a state of expansion. Mm-hmm. So there's like a softness, there's an openness of vulnerability, and judgment is a state of constriction. There's mm-hmm. like a knowing, it's very narrow and focused, and we literally constrict. Mm-hmm. And what's so profound about trauma somatically is we identify and overcouple constriction with safety. So the body decides, oh, trauma response is how I survived that bully, let's say. Like I ran away from them, and that's how I survived. So that must mean to stay in a hypervigilant state that will keep me alive. So we actually, the body actually believes that expansion will lead to something bad happening again. So curiosity, as logical as it sounds when we talk about it, to the body is a terrifying concept because you have to open to be curious. So this is again, the mind and soma connection. So, so many people listening to this that are like, I don't know how to be curious. It's because your body won't let you if you have a lot of trauma because it wants to stay tight. Mm. So a big part of the trauma healing work is actually building capacity to uncouple feeling open Mm -hmm. from something threatening occurring. And the more you practice that, then in curiosity, it's like, oh, it feels good to be a little tender and open rather then tenderness and openness equal pain. Mm. So I feel like it's an important piece. Oh, that's so important. And for anyone listening who does feel that in incredible tightness and judgment and shame and fear, what would be one step they could take towards 
beginning to uncouple, taking the step to uncouple with the fear so they can actually feel what's really going on. My favorite one is noticing a place in your body that doesn't have the fear. So if I'm, let's say I am, let's say I binge eight, okay? Let's say (laughs) thousands of times in my life. Let's say I was binge eating and I am feeling the shame of the Mm. binge eating. I'm feeling Mm. the anger. I'm feeling the the sadness, whatever I'm feeling like Mm. that's present. Mm. Where in my body am I actually okay with the fact that Mm. I binge, which is a strange thing to consider, Mm -hmm. but we'll start to notice, oh, my legs are actually totally fine or Mm. my feet don't care that I binged. Mm. Or, oh, my stomach's like really happy that there's all this food in there. Like you might notice a different part of the body. Mm-hmm. And this is how we, what we call pendulation, where we mm-hmm. notice and locate a part that's activated. So let's mm-hmm. say shame, my chest is tight. Mm-hmm. And then we notice, oh, but my legs feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. I've just found two places in my body that are having an opposite response to this experience, mm-hmm. which actually means I'm safe here or my body wouldn't have a place of rest. If I'm in a real-time threat, my whole body is adrenalized to escape that threat. If I'm remembering threat or feeling perceived threat from shame, there's parts of my body that are kind of like awake and they say, "Mm, we know there's no threat here. This is your own judgment. Mm -hmm. And just identifying those parts, we pendulate between them. And Mm -hmm. I'll explain really briefly how you do that. You just find the part that feels different than the part that feels stressful, let's say. Mm -hmm. So let's say the stress is in the chest and the legs don't have stress. They don't have to feel good, but they just don't have stress. You spend five seconds in the chest, you kind of breathe into it. Mm -hmm. You spend five seconds in the legs and you breathe into them. Mm -hmm. And you go back and forth a few times. And as you do that, like the legs start giving a little of their resource to the chest. And some of that activation starts coming down. And through that, the body learns, oh, it's okay here. I can feel a little shame or pain and it doesn't mean something bad is going to happen. And we start uncoupling these these constricted ideas of constriction equaling safety. That's such a wonderful tool. It really it. is. It really is just to create that awareness of, oh, there are parts of me that are safe. It's huge. Just the awareness sometimes will shift the, the dysregulation as well. Oh, that's so beautiful. What would you like to share with everybody? Anything you want, maybe your own amazing healing, you know, like a story about healing or tools, whatever it is. A, you got it. You got the last five. It's all you. <laughs> oh, that's a big question. There's like so many things, you know, coming up. I think the thing I'd want to share, which we can do in real time, anyone listening, is just take a moment to even pause this after I say it, if you need to, or follow my, my voice, but just looking around the space you're in right now and just noticing what parts of my body are okay with being in this space. Like what parts actually feel okay? What parts like the space? What parts, you know, look, let's say you're looking at a plant. Where in my body do I feel that plant? It's this really simple practice of orienting toward non-threat. And anyone that has uh, trauma or PTSD, the body is turned on and stuck in a state of orienting for threat. So we're looking for possible threat or we're remembering threat, Mm -hmm. mostly somatically, not consciously. And so we're living in an adrenalized state that drives us to binge and have these kind of like behaviors we don't like. Mm -hmm. When we can practice even for two minutes, just noticing where is there a non-threat in the room and where can I actually feel it? It's not just Mm -hmm. seeing it or thinking it, but feeling it. Mm -hmm. We actually, again, start to uncouple the past or the future from the present. 
and we somatically feel the reality right now I'm safe. How do I know my stomach is telling me? And it doesn't mean something bad won't happen in four hours or tomorrow. But right now, it's like, can we cultivate that practice mm-hmm. of somatically orienting toward non-thread? Mm-hmm. That's my favorite piece to offer because it's so simple and we can just mm-hmm. practice it all the time. And we practice it more and more and it goes deeper and deeper the more we, we work with it. These tools are so wonderful. I look back in my healing journey and I wish I had them in my tool belts. A lot of it for me was just creating this incredible conversation with my body around trust, mm-hmm. where when it spoke, I listened instead of mm-hmm. running away from my body. And in the healing years with Crohn's, my body, even though my physical body was suffering, this deeper wisdom kept saying, you're okay. And that was what I ultimately ended up tr- trusting, not the thoughts that were driven by fear, but this deeper wisdom that was so quiet, like the fear was so loud and the wisdom was so quiet that it's easy for the fear to drown out the wisdom. But as I would get quiet, I'd hear my body saying, you're okay, you're okay. And I just began to trust that way smaller voice that kept repeating, you're okay, you're okay. And I was like, okay, I'm okay. And that deep trust, I I hear your tools and I'm like, oof, these tools are so meaty and so Mm -hmm. beautiful because they're such a direct access, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. I I love you say direct access because that's that piece of you that was saying you're okay. That's where we're wanting to access because if I have a rash, it's not because I'm bad. It's because my body's like responding really healthy towards Mm -hmm. something. It's actually Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And to kind of redirect this idea of, you know, conditional love, like this means I'm bad or not doing mm-hmm. it right. This means mm-hmm. I did it right. Mm-hmm. Into everything my body does has a really great purpose. Can I be in relationship with that? Mm-hmm. That to me is healing. Even if this condition is there, just changing how I connect to it is like, that's sustainable mm-hmm. as my body ages and shifts and has inevitable changes. Mm-hmm. So I, I really feel that. Thank you so much for today. For sitting Thank down you. with me i could literally talk to you all day so <laughs> i'm just thinking the same thing is so so easy to talk to so easy to talk to you and i love your insights and i love the way you bring everything back to a certain focus it's for me it's 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 wonderful so thank you for being here thank you for sharing wonderful thank you my friend Thank you so much for joining me today on the Your Great Podcast and listening to my conversation with Louise. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I met Louise, I think over a year ago, and immediately felt this really wonderful connection. And I don't know about you, but I can feel his embodiment. I can feel that this is someone who is walking the walk and and it's wonderful to meet wonderful people like that. If you are looking to learn more about Luis, you'll find this podcast on, in my blog with links to his work at yourgreat.com. That's Y-O-U-R-E great.com. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.